how <clears throat> some grow up hearing this particular song and others you know, they, they don't and, and I noticed that every Baptist in here knew that song <laughs> take your Bibles turn with me to Romans chapter 6 Scattered throughout the Bible are verses that we perceive to be extraordinarily important. Now, it's not that other verses are not important, but there are certain texts that stand out in uh, they, they stand above others as they summarize very important doctrines of the Bible. Uh, particularly those that lie at the very heart of the gospel. And um, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 is one of those verses. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now many times that verse is, is uh, preceded by Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon called it a Christian proverb, a divine statement of truth worthy to be written across the sky. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Throughout chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul has been making contrasts. It's this way or it's that way. And it's, you know, here he says the wage of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life. And, and here we have both the essence of the gospel and a statement of the misery from which the gospel delivers us, which is death. Now, many times you think about certain words, you know. Uh, you, you know, if I were to say death, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Life. If I say dark, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Light. You see, certain words, they, they go together. And Paul here points out, and, and he reminds me of, of, of Jesus saying, Travel the narrow road, for narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that goes to destruction, and many will find it. And Paul here, he presents, he pre presents to us two ways. This doctrine has been re uh, presented pr uh, repeatedly through different formats throughout the, the, the book of Romans. Uh, in chapter 5, it was, it was expressed as the distinction between being in Adam or being in Christ. And and then there's a there every person on earth we need to understand are either in Adam or they are in Christ. Adam disobeyed God. Adam's disobedience brought sin and death upon all of mankind. 
Jesus obeyed God and his obedience resulted in justification and life for all of those who are united to him. And this morning, we look at this and say, where am I right now? Do I stand in a state of death? Or do I stand in a, in a state of having life? Toward the end of chapter 5, uh, the contrast uh, was described as being between the law and being between grace. And we, we, we saw how the law brings condemnation on us. The law says, obey me or die. There's no way out of it. There's no other way. The law says you obey me or you die. And we can't obey the law. We can't do it. So therefore, it brings condemnation. Therefore, it brings death to us. But grace, grace says, believe this and live. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Do this or die, believe this and live. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, do this and live? Because if He had, we would all reap the wages of sin, which is eternal death. So, uh, the law works sin, and the result of sin is death. You know, if you turn with me over to the, to the book of James. James puts... Almost exactly. You know, a lot of folks, they, they look at James and they look at Paul and they say that they taught contradicting doctrines, but they did not. Paul is talking about the root of salvation and James is talking about the fruit of salvation. All right. But but here in James chapter one, look at verse 14. He says exactly what Paul is saying. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Sin and death go together. Death is the wage of sin. Grace results in righteousness and eternal life. And in Romans 6, the two ways have been described as outworkings of two slaveries. This is what we looked at last week. Slavery to sin. Each of us in this world are born into that slavery. We are born into slavery to sin. And we are born, and, and the end of that is always going to be death. But slavery to God, by the way, you are born into that too. Now I've got to make a distinction here. As we understand that at our natural birth, none of us had anything to do with that. None of us had a choice in that. We didn't help in any kind of way at all. We were just born. It's the same way with our spiritual birth. We have no choice. It's not our choice. Nobody chooses God. You realize, you go all the way back to Romans chapter 1, that's what Paul said. He said, there is none that seeks after God. There is none. Our natural tendency is to run as far and as fast away from God as we can. And so when we are born spiritually, it is because God put within us the desire. He changed our desires to long for Him, to want Him, and to, to, to be saved. And so we understand that 
That uh, slavery to God, which leads to righteousness, leading to holiness, and it results in eternal life. When Jesus, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, He said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come. There's that word again. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the very fullest extent. This is what's summarized in our text. And what Paul uh, means when he says that the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here in, in, in Romans 6, 23, that one verse right there, Paul is summing up everything he has said in chapter 5 and 6. He said all that and he says, you know what, here's what it all comes down to. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Paul contrasts death and eternal life, we immediately think of the state of our souls beyond the grave. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about something that's off in the future. We need to remember that in Romans 6, when Paul was writing about our present life right now, and he's stressing that having been freed from slavery to sin, we as believers, we are alive today and we live to serve God, not sin. We live to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness instead of unrighteousness. You see, as a slave to sin, we were dead, Paul says, in our trespasses and sins. And as a slave to sin, as being dead to sin... We obeyed our master. We presented our bodies and our members as instruments of unrighteousness to be used as he will. But when we are born again, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are given life, when we are regenerated and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we become a slave to Christ and a slave to to righteousness. You see, here's something that I think a lot of people, I, I hear people look at what's going on in our world today, all the rampant sin that's going on. I had someone ask me the other day, they said, I just don't understand what's wrong with these people. I don't understand why they can't act right. And I said, I'll tell you why they can't act right, because they're dead. <laughs> they're sinners. They have no desire to, to be right. They have no desire to live a life glorified to God. And I don't understand why that's so hard for us to understand. But on the other hand, we need to look at that and turn around. How can we who claim to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, how can we live any other way? Just as they cannot live any other way, how can we? And that's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6. He's saying, don't you know that you, you're, not, you're dead to sin? It has no dominion over you. Why are you obeying a master that you're no longer tied to? And so we, uh, we understand that here in Romans chapter 6, Paul is not talking about some far off, and he's not saying that the wages of sin is death, and that will happen after you die. Paul is not saying that the, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and that's something you get when you die. No, he's talking about now. Right here, right now. Right now, every single person in this room that, that, that is standing here and sitting here, every one of us are in one of two places. We're either dead or we're alive. 
Many years ago, there was a, a, a man from a cult who wrote a book called Millions Now Living Will Never Die. And I believe it was Dr. W.A. Criswell was talking about that, and he said, I want to tell you something, folks. If I could imitate him, I would. He said, millions now living are already dead. Millions now living are already dead. So although these are eternal ends, death and life, we must not overlook that there is also a present death. There is also a present life to be considered. The book of Ecclesiastes to me is a fascinating book. I remember as a young Christian, <clears throat> my pastor's wife at the time told me, she said, I want you to do me a favor and go read the book of Ecclesiastes. I'd probably been a Christian for a month. She said, read that book and tell me what you think. And I came back and I told her, I said, that is the most depressing book I have ever read. She said, you are saved. <laughs> and that just blew my mind the way she did that. She said, most people look at that book and they don't. They say, okay, I don't get it. But it did. It depressed me. I mean, basically, you realize that, that, that Solomon, who is known as the richest man that ever lived, he's known... Okay, someday when I get to heaven, God's going to have to explain this to me. The wisest man who ever lived had 700 wives. <laughs> Solomon said, there is nothing that I asked for that I did not have. I had all the money you could want. I had all the, the, the relationships you could want. He said, I worshiped every God under the sun. He said, you know what I've come to find out? It's all completely useless. It means nothing. There's nothing new under the sun. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He said, I had everything I ever wished for, and all it got me was nothing but emptiness. But listen, I, think that I believe the fact that Solomon recognized that proves that Solomon was a saved man. Because people in our world today, there are many professing believers sitting in churches all across America today that think that, you know, as long as I have enough money, as long as I have a nice car, as long as I have a nice house, I'll be happy. And they don't understand what Solomon taught. He said, no, you won't. You know, somebody at one time asked John Rockefeller, how much is enough? You know, he was extremely wealthy. They asked him, said, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Today, you sit here, you're listening to the sound of my voice, and every one of us in this room, we are either dead or we're alive. What brings joy and happiness to your life? Do you ever stop and consider where you were dead in your trespasses and sins and in an instant God saved you? Gave you life. Gave you eternal life. 
Have you ever just stopped and thought about that for a moment and felt like the only proper response to that was to fall on your knees before God and just simply say two words? Thank you. Thank you. In this verse, Paul is particularly concerned with the effects of sin and righteousness in the life that we live now and not in the life to come. Wages refers to something that was measured out day by day. Remember, Paul is writing to the folks in Rome. <clears throat> and, and to a Roman soldier in those days, they were paid every day. They didn't, you don't have to wait till payday. Every day was payday. And every day they, they were meted out what they needed and what, what was given to them that day. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying the wages of sin is not something coming in the future. It's something you receive every single day. And what is the wage of sin? Death. Death. It's the individual's present state that is in view. We look at sin. He says the wages of sin is death. Well, what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law of God. Which, by the way, we're all guilty of. You know how I know that? Because in 3.23, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. It, it is a moral failure. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I want to believe the gospel, but I just can't believe that. It's just too much of a fairy tale or it's whatever. I want to believe, but I just can't. You know that's not true. It's not true that they can't believe it. What's true is they won't believe it. You know, it's kind of like forgiveness. I have heard people say, you know, I want to forgive so-and-so, but I just can't. And that's just not true. Forgiveness is not something you can or can't do. So forgiveness is something you will or won't do. And it's the same way with believing in God. So Paul says, look, the wages of sin is death and it's paid every single day. But the gift of God is eternal life. When? Every day. Eternal life is not something we're going to get. It's something you received the moment you believed in Christ. And listen, let me tell you something. You don't get saved more and more as time goes along. When you got saved, you got as saved as you're ever going to be because you got as saved as you can get. I, I, I've heard people talk about, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, wanting that second blessing. You ever heard that? People talk about the second blessing or the third blessing. You know, you, you, you grow along and you get more and more of the Holy Spirit as you go, as you do certain things. And that's just not biblical. Because I want to tell you something, folks. When you got saved, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Because you got all the Holy Spirit there is. By the way, that's what makes us saved. It is the life of God and the soul of man. There was a book, you know, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived was a man named George Whitfield. And George Whitfield, he, he preached and he did a lot of things till he came to the conclusion that he really wasn't even saved. And he read a book, I can't remember the guy's name that wrote the book, but he wrote, read a book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. And he was converted from reading that book. It presented to him the gospel in a way he'd never heard before. But, but I thought about what a wonderful picture that is. That, that when we have eternal life, 
Do you realize there's only one person? Okay, listen to this. There's only one being in the entirety of the universe. I don't care if there are a billion universes out there. There's only one God. And He is the only one that is truly alive. There in the Garden of Eden, God reached down. He, he formed Adam from the dust of the earth. But it wasn't until He breathed into Adam that He became a living soul. And it's not until we receive the free gift of eternal life that God breathes into us the breath of life and we become a living soul. Are you alive this morning or dead? What a marvelous contrast these are. Death versus life, sin versus God, wages versus the free gift of God. This means more. Eternal life means more than just mere physical life. We, we, we look at somebody and we say, well, that person's alive. And we, we base that on the fact that they uh, are breathing, that they're moving around, that they're conscious. But that's not life. That's existence. And this is more than that. Uh, Eternal life means more than just mere physical life. Eternal life has to do with knowing God. In his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus, in praying for his own, in, verse, in chapter 17 and verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we look and we say, okay, what is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing God. Not knowing who God is. Not knowing about God. But knowing God. Do you know God like that this morning? Eternal life begins at the moment of conversion. It's knowing God in, a, in an ever-increasing measure. Knowing Him more every day as you spend time in God's Word, as you spend time in prayer, as you spend time with God's people. And, and how many of you remember, I know many of you here are old enough to remember this. <laughs> how many of you remember that old song, to know, know, know Him is to love, love, love. You realize how true that is of God. The more we know Him, the more you'll love Him. There's no way we can get by that. So eternal life begins now. And, and note that eternal life is a gift. It's not a wage. A wage is something that you owe someone for something they've done. And folks, please don't ever get the idea that God owes you anything except death. <laughs> except wrath. But we don't... Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul says... For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works. Why? So that we can't boast. 
The wages is something we earn, but a gift is unearned. We give gifts because we love someone. We say, you know what? Uh, here's something I'm giving to you, not because of anything you've done, not because I expect anything from you, but just simply because I want to give it to you. And that's what God has done for us. <clears throat> Note one final thing about this verse. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus. Over and over and over and over, Paul has been uh, pounding this idea home to us. And it's going to keep going as we go through the book of Romans. In Christ, through Christ, in Him. You get the idea that Christ has a lot to do with this? Well, He doesn't. He has everything to do with this. Not a lot to do with it, but everything. So are we in Christ? In, in, Paul has summarized the gospel as a free gift of God to his people. But how is it possible for God to do that? How is it possible for God to be so gracious to us? How can he, uh, how can he have given us the gift of eternal life... We being the sinners that we are. How could He do this? And the answer is that it is, it is in, by, and through Jesus Christ. I was listening to a little clip of this morning of Alistair Begg preaching. And he said something that I thought was so beautiful. He said, when you get to heaven... And God says, why should I let you into my heaven? If you begin your answer with I, you've already lost. He said, you're not getting in. If you begin it in the first person. He said, but if you begin it in the third person, because of Jesus. And, and I don't know how many of you have seen this, but he says, you know, the angel says, who told you you could come? He said, the man on the middle cross said, come. He said, I don't know why. I didn't even ask. He just said, go. And that's exactly what it is. Are we in Christ Jesus? The answer to, to every question that we have about salvation is in Christ. We are saved from sin only because of the perfect, righteous life of Christ. Only because of the perfect, righteous sacrifice of Jesus in our place. But it doesn't stop there. You see, on the third day, He rose from the dead. I am sometimes in awe of how flippant many Christians take the resurrection of Christ. Listen, folks. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Krishna, if he ever existed, is dead. But the tomb of Jesus is empty. I love what the angel said to those women. He says, what are you doing here? <laughs> He's risen just like He said. You know, those disciples, as many times as Jesus told them, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered into the hand of sinful men, and they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise on the third day. You know, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, every one of them disciples should have been standing there waiting for him. But they weren't. But does that matter? 
Does the resurrection of Christ, is it really all that important? You better believe it because without it, there is no Christianity. But you see, the writer to the Hebrews says that he is able. He is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. And that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that great? That right now Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He never ceases to do so. Are we in Christ? Is He your Savior? If yes, then are you living for Him? Are you obeying your new Master? The one who, who, who said, take my yoke upon you because it's easy. I think about one of the most beautiful pictures of salvation you will ever find anywhere in the Old Testament is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. Here's a valley full of nothing but dead... And they're not just dead bones. They're deteriorating dry bones. They've been there for a while. And God says, Ezekiel, can those bones live? And he said, God, if you say so, they can. <laughs> and you know what? God said, well, I, can, I do say so. And, and it's such a beautiful picture. Ezekiel stands there and he sees this scene as they stand up. These bones come together. The muscle, the sinew, the, the flesh, everything comes upon them. But you know what? After all that happens, you know what they, those bodies do? They just stand there until God gives them life. It's such a picture of regeneration and faith and believing. The wage of sin is death. And spiritually speaking, you are as dead as those bones were in that valley without Christ. No one but God can bring death, uh, life out of death. It's no coincidence when Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus that he called him by name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. What if he had just simply said, come forth? Every grave within the sound of his voice would have burst open. You know why? Because when life speaks, death listens. No one but Jesus can give us life. And Romans 6 teaches us that we, uh, that we, uh, who teaches us that we, who we are in Christ. Is that important to know? Yes. And we are to let that truth shape us as we go because we died, Paul says, with Christ. We rose with Christ. We belong to Christ. Yes, we will face temptations. And yes, we will succumb to those temptations on occasion. But we're slaves to sin no more. Sin owes me nothing anymore. As death has no power over Christ, Paul told us that in Romans 5, it also has no power over me and you if, if we are in Christ Jesus. 
We are slaves to sin no more. And being liberated from sin's dominion, we begin service to a new master. Are you serving Christ? Are you serving Christ this morning? Is He your master? When, when, when Christ says to you, go, do you go? When He says do, do you do? When He says give, do you give? When He says give in, do you give in? Whatever He says. You know, I, I, we talked about this last week that Jesus, on occasion, He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? <clears throat> but don't do what I say. Yeah. You know, I used to have a boss like that. We 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 had a lot of um, my my boss at one time when I was a house painter. He had he had three or four crews. He had about forty people working for him, and he had this one crew that um, you know Mondays was a holiday because nobody came to work on Mondays for some reason, and it used to just aggravate the fire out of him that nobody would come to work on Mondays. And he walked in on their job one day, and I was with him, and this guy came up, and he said, Hey, boss, he said, what do you want me to do with this right here? And he said, why are you asking me? He said, I'm nobody. He said, well, you're the boss. And he said, no, I'm not. You don't do a thing I say, so why do you call me boss? And that's what Christ is saying to you and me this morning. He's saying, why do you keep calling me Lord, but keep ignoring what I tell you to do? Keep disobeying what I say. You know, it's an interesting thing and, a, and an indictment against you and me that Jesus stood up in the bow of that boat in the middle of a storm and said, peace be still. And the wind looked at the wave and said, you know, I really don't want to do that. No, do you know what the wind and waves did? They immediately ceased. Jesus walked by a fig tree, cursed it. You know what happened to it? It died. You know why? Because nature, creation, everything in this created order that God has ever created, when God speaks, it obeys instantly, except us. Now you figure that out. We are the crowning glory of God's creation. But yet when God speaks, we say, well, let me think about it. Or we say, no, I'm not going to do that. Whereas the winds, the waves, the storms, the trees, the birds, everything else instantly obeys God. You know why? Because they know who their master is. They know who their creator is. And what's even more, the angels of God instantly obey his every command. Now, here's why that's such an indictment to us. Jesus did not shed his blood on Calvary's cross for the wind and the waves. Or for the trees. Not even for the angels. But he did for you and me. And so when he says to us, obey me. If you love me, obey me. And I say, Lord, I love you. But I just don't want to do that. See how ridiculous that sounds? And Paul says, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
And I want to tell you something, folks. You show me somebody that does not have life, and I'm talking about purpose in life and, 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 and understanding that this life is more than about the things you possess. I'll show you somebody that probably is in Christ Jesus. But you show me a professing believer, you show me a church member that just always says, how much more? Just a little bit more. God, if you don't make me healthy, you must not love me. God, if you don't make me rich, you must not love me. And how that must break God's heart for Him to say, how about I die for you? Would that prove you I love you? Because that's what He did. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we thank You this morning. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You that once we were slaves to sin, but we are no more if we are in Christ. That Father, once we obeyed its lusts, we were slaves to our own desires, but no more if we are in Christ. Thank You that in Christ we have eternal life. We have purpose. That Father, we live and we exist to glorify You, to serve You, to be obedient at every opportunity. Father, forgive us for falling so short. Forgive us, Father, for being so disobedient to one who has loved us with an everlasting love. Father, thank you for the eternal life that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.